0: What's the scariest bear experience you've had? And then I want to go into the scariest hunt you've had in ge- general, unless they're both the same.
1: The scariest bear hunt I've had, I don't know if you, if you watched it on YouTube, it's called shadow of death.
0: I have watched the shadow of death. I watched it twice. And I'm like, from YouTube, it's like, all right, that's pretty scary. But I, I could imagine just being there had to have been way crazier.
1: I think I probably said it on the film. That wasn't scary at all. At least for me. Yeah. I was going to um, say you, knock you on, downplayed it. Well, well, it just wasn't. I mean, I'm, not to be prideful, but it's just so real. I suspect that it's probably similar to what a soldier in combat would feel. It's like, there is nothing else. There's no fear because there's nothing else to consider. Your mind has nothing to worry about because your deepest fear or worry is at hand. So there is no fear because you're in it. Fear is is imaginative. What is it? False evidence appearing real of an acronym fear? And so when you're in it, the fear is gone.
0: University Kings podcast, our second virtual podcast. If you guys knew what has gone into creating this podcast, I feel like we, we might be able to start to relate this to one of Billy's ram hunts. You know what I mean? Where you're, you're trekking 30 miles or whatever from, from what I've been able to uh, watch. So obviously not, you know, literally speaking, but figuratively speaking, it, it seems like we've put a lot of work into getting this podcast to work. Uh, I guess to give us a little bit of grace, you know, on reflection of my team and myself, We do typically do it in person, but this is uh, 140, 150 episodes in. We're about two years in. Special guest, Billy. How do I pronounce the last name? Moles? Moles, yep. Billy Moles. And uh, where are you from?
1: Wisconsin, Northwest Wisconsin.
0: Northwest Wisconsin. And then you were born and raised in Wisconsin, stayed in Wisconsin? Yep, yep. And then you have brothers, right?
1: Older brother, older sister.
0: Okay, older brother and older sister. And then is everybody kind of in like a similar field or really in tune with nature? How did you guys get in? How did you get into hunting and did that affect, did that like impact the whole family?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, we grew up on a farm, dairy farmers. My grandpa was a professional trapper. So at the end of the, basically the fall harvest after deer season, he would leave his family and he'd go to Northern Wisconsin in the big swamp swampy country the big woods the north woods of wisconsin build a log cabin and then he would trap all winter long and so then he'd come home in the spring sell his furs use that money to buy seed so basically i did it out of necessity and uh, my grandpa was a little bit of a uh, kind of a front runner on the photography side of things and he captured a lot of his lifestyle through photos and so that always inspired me basically just outdoors. We're always outdoors, always working. And then for me, I just wanted to go to the woods, to the lakes, to escape the farm. And then later for me, hunting was the only time that I ever got to see my dad, not basically in total farm mode, where he's just working sun up to sunset every day. And all life was for us was work, looking back at it. Um, that was the greatest, uh, feather in my cap and my resume, if you will, is that I knew how to work and I was hungry. I was never handed anything, I had to work for everything. And I had a dream. My grandpa said, Billy, if you want outdoor adventure, Alaska is the place you need to go. And
0: that's where I went. And, and is, is that the, uh, so when you, when you mentioned the trapping and then your grandpa trapping, is that the, the introduction in your, your, uh, your films on YouTube? That's, was it muskrat trapping that you were doing?
1: Yep, so I started with my grandpa, maybe the earliest memory I probably have, I was probably about four. I just remember being with him and he'd point to the bank, the shore of the swamp, and he'd ask me if I saw the sign. And I was looking for like a stop sign, but he was talking about was just the track or the mud where a beaver would slide down the land into the water. And then he could place that trap in just one spot and he knew the animal would step there. He'd put a stick or a a log or something and and he knew that animal would step there. And so that fascinated me. And then my dad, when I was eight, he took me muskrat trapping. And when we, uh, when I noticed I was totally immersed and surrounded by nature, it was just like a light bulb light switch. I knew I wanted to live my life in the wilderness.
0: That's crazy. Now is would you say your grandfather or your father, were, were those two figures in different seasons, were those the most influential people in your life that helped you kind of transition into the hunting world and hunting realm? Or were there other individuals that were very influential on, on molding you into the man that you are today?
1: Um, my grandpa, I mean, to be honest, I didn't. I didn't even spend all that much time with my grandpa. It was just his lifestyle. And he did things differently. He did things outside the box, right? Yeah. So obviously, I spent a lot of time with my dad, but I think more than anything, it was that I was given a lot of latitude. Um, You know, I mean, I was carrying shotguns around all by myself in the woods when I was like eight, nine years old, off by myself. My parents didn't know where I was. I'd be gone for hours. They just gave me such latitude. And then I think just my imagination, my confidence, and if I'm being perfectly honest and uh, maybe vulnerable, I would say that I felt freedom to just be me when I was in the wilderness and away from anybody that, you know, I was in school and or around the farm. I always had to do whatever my parents told me when I was in school. I always had to do what the teachers told me. But when I was in the wilderness, I was totally free.
0: And that's what I love. That's awesome. Well, what would you say growing up? What was what were what were some of or maybe an in particular moment that that really kind of, I don't know, shaped shaped your life, a moment that kind of like pivoted you towards who you are today? Can you think of any type of adversity or even maybe a very joyful moment, something that just occurred that like really kind of put you on the, the direction that you currently live?
1: Yeah, yep. I would say a real pivotal moment in my life. Um, I was going through a, a period of, of depression. I was in my early 20s. I'd become a hunting guide that was kind of like my childhood dream right I was guiding in Alaska and um, I was always a dream of mine to shoot like a record book whitetail with my bow and arrow right and um, this was during that that point of depression where I just I, I just felt like I wasn't doing anything the way the world was like my perception of the world I was doing things outside of the box and, and at that point I had been, I'm 23, 24, something like that, been guiding in Alaska for four or five years. And I really didn't have any big goals or visions of where I was headed from there. So I was kind of like in limbo, kind of lost, right? And so for about 10 years through high school years, I wanted to shoot this record book, Whitetail. And and I, here I am in my twenties and I'm just wondering if I did everything wrong. And I mean, that, that depression got so deep for a time, I would consider putting a gun in my mouth and pulling the trigger minute by minute. But I, when I was in the wilderness, I always was released from that. But when I'd come home, I'd always come back to Wisconsin in the winter times, help on the farm, and I'd do construction work just to pay the bills, right? But anyways, so I'm 23 years old, and I this great big buck comes in, and you know I shoot this buck, right? And uh, it runs off, shoot it with a bow and arrow, runs off, but I know I made a perfect shot and I knew it was gonna die. And I remembered thinking, Oh my gosh, I did it. You know, I shoot this record book whitetail and I was so excited for about three seconds. And then I realized, Billy, you're still the same person. Nothing's changed. You just, you just, and I realized how the great folly in my, how much time and energy I put into trying to shoot a deer of a certain measurement and how that was completely empty. And I would say that was probably the first thing in my life that really shifted my outlook.
0: And, and what, what freed you from that depression? I know you talk about your faith sometimes on, uh, on your, on your film on, on YouTube. So was that a moment where you were able to transition to God or was it just eye opening enough where it's like, all right, fulfillment isn't external, but it's internal. And like, what did that look like to actually get you out of that depression then? Yeah, I'd say it probably happened about a year
1: later. I was in the wilderness of Alaska. This is on my Trust the Guide uh, kind of devotional or mini sermons, if you will, that I do around the campfire. I don't remember which one it is, but I, call, I wrote a chapter about it in my book. It's called Seven Nights in a Six-Pack. I was in uh, the wilderness uh, in the springtime, and an outfitter, this outfitter that dropped me off, it was the only time I ever worked for him, he drops me off, says, I'll have a hunter here for you in two days. Well, I don't see him for five days and I've got no communication. I'm running out of food. I mean, I'm fine. I mean, I knew I'd survive. I wasn't nervous about that. But I'm in this depression and I feel that I'm at rock bottom, right? And so I'm praying. I am, I'm pacing up and down this gravel bar, 237 steps. And I about dug a trench because I just had this nervous energy and this angst, right? This grief and guilt and shame and, and questions. And I'm just like, God, if you're real, I need direction. I, I, you need to give me something to go off of because I'm going nowhere, right? I, I just felt so empty. And so the outfitter comes in after five days and I'm thinking, oh, great. Here's my hunter. You know, we can start hunting. Well, there's nobody in the back seat of the airplane. He hands me a package of pork chops and a six pack of beer. And he says, hey, I took your hunter to a different guide, but I'll have another hunter here for you in another two days. And I'm like, okay, perfect. So he leaves. I go back to my camp. I just got this little tiny stove, you know, a one burner stove and a pan. So I start frying a pork chop, crack open the beer. So meanwhile, this cow, a cow moose and her yearling calf. So this is in May. So they're about ready to have their new calves. Their belly's big and swollen. Right. And so she walks across the river and I'd seen this cow and yearling, you know, two, three times a day, all the days that I've been there. Cow goes across, starts nibbling on the willows, and then she looks back as her yearling is halfway across the river. And then as soon as I saw that cow look back at her yearling, it was boom, light switch moment, because I recognize that any day now, that cow is going to ostracize her yearling because nature is black and white. There's no gray area in nature. So that cow, when when nature tells her, when her instinct tells her, hey, You need to now focus all your energy on your new baby or babies, and you need to get rid of that yearling. It's time for her to go. That cow will ostracize that yearling and have nothing to do with it. And when that happens, that yearling will have to face every brown bear attack or wolves, wolverines, whatever is going to try to kill it. Anything that happens to that yearling, it will never feel sorry for itself. Nobody will ever be there to try to help it and it will never ever quit because everything in nature strives to maximize its potential until it dies period without exception and so i basically i got the message that i needed through the language that i best understand which i've always been fascinated with which is nature and two years of depression was gone just like that i just told myself billy there's your rifle cuz it's laying right beside me when you're in bear country right i'm like you either pick it up stick it in your mouth pull the trigger or you get on with life.
0: And it was that simple. Wow. Where do you what do you think caused the depression? Do you think it I I don't want to answer for you, but I guess what do you think caused the depression?
1: Uh, shame, guilt, insecurity, fear. Yeah, probably seeking probably trusting the world more than I trusted myself. Yeah. Because um, I kind of thought I always had an edge to me, you know. I went through school and I always, you know, I I don't know that I was like totally disrespectful, but I never could really go along with school. It never made any sense to me. I mean, I did fine in grades, but I was I was kind of rebellious, yeah. you know. My my dad was a little bit of a hard ass, no doubt about that. I love my dad and you know, he had a, we lived a stressful life. It was hand to mouth, Yeah. you know, but always, always working. I mean, we we're always doing two days of work every day and we we're always three days behind. I mean, we just had to pay the bills. We we're always overdrawn at the bank. So there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of anxiousness. I think that's part of the reason, honestly, why I went to the wilderness, because I wanted to escape that stress and the angst that was in in our in our life. But my parents, they, they just weren't quitters. They, they would not quit. My mom worked 60 hours a week as an office manager at a local feed mill. She milked the cows two times a day. She kept up with the, on the house, cooked and cleaned. I mean, my parents, they didn't, I mean, they, they worked the job of, my mom worked the job of two men. My dad worked the job, worked as much as three men. My brother and I, by the time we were 12, 14, we were working harder than, I know we were working way harder than the average man. Yeah. No doubt about it. And it's, it served me, but it, there's a balance to everything, right? There's a, there's a, there's a yin to every yang, you know, and that, but that's hard, man. I never, another thing with, with hunting is I loved patience as a part of it. It's a vital part of it. And it was, hunting was the only time that, you know, I could ever really relax. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. Your your YouTube hunts make the, make these uh, hunts probably look way funner. Than they actually are, cause you are editing or your your camera crew is editing um, you know, the one hunt I heard you say it was like twenty-eight miles for a ram hunt that you guys were doing. And I don't know if that's average. You know what I mean? Is is that sound like an like an average, is that something average when you're hunting those is it the doll ram?
1: Yeah, doll sheep, yeah. Uh twenty-eight miles, that would be like a really long day. That would be a very short hunt. (laughs) I've had hunts where we've gone over eighty miles. I've had one hunt. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I mean, just going off the map.
0: I mean, we were pushing a hundred miles. And how are you convincing these? Because I mean, you're. I, I, I listen to a lot of David Goggins. I don't know. There's another bow hunter I really like. His name's Cameron Haynes. I don't know if you've heard of him. And these guys, oh, yeah. you know, these are these are exquisite individuals. But when I'm watching your hunts, it it looks like the average guy going out there is probably his fifties or sixties. What are you? How are you getting them to go? I'm I'm young and shape, but I'm like, oh, I could I could do one of these hunts, but I think I would be miserable. You know what I mean? Just the, the, I'm, cause my bot, I'm not used to, I think one time I did a, my mom sent me, I, I, um, real, real quick on my story. So basically grew up, my mom raised us two, three jobs. And, uh, we, I started off in little rock, Arkansas. I was born on a. I I call it a farm, but we raised Tennessee walkers. So not like an actual farm, just horses. But, um, when they split up, moved up with my mom, she was from Pennsylvania Worked two, three jobs, and she figured because uh, there was no man in the house, we I needed to be – I just me and a, I got a little sister. She figured I needed to be manlier, so she uh, – some type of man influence. Put me in the Boy Scouts, so there was hiking and, you know, the, the packs and everything like that, and then there was um, – in addition to that, there's uh, some other thing, but they made us do like a like a mock military type, type of hike. Um, I'm, I was a bad kid, so she – I look back now, definitely was some type of punishment camp she sent me to. Cause it was like, it was probably four or five miles, but it's the, that, like that military style pack. And it's like a 40, probably, I imagine I was probably 12 years old or something. It was probably like a 40 pound pack. But I imagine if you're packing out some of these massive animals packing out a moose, even though some of those dull sheep look massive going on Google and looking at like some of the different sizes and things like that, being 50 years old, packing that out already 60 miles into a hunt and then having to go up and down once or twice are, like you've got to be the most motivational person out there. You know what I mean? I can see you're in shape, but I'm looking at some of these guys and some are like, I got bad knees and I got bad hips. And I'm like, how is he getting these guys to to do it? You know what I mean? Because you guys aren't just sitting there and it's, you know, some of those hunts you can just buy and they'll, it's like a farm. You know, it's like a farm, a deer or whatever. You, they just have a big buck, just you lure it in. It doesn't look like you guys are luring anything no. in. <laughs> No, we're
1: not doing that. You we, we try to minimize the amount of miles that they have to travel. And obviously you can't do that with everybody. I mean, when I say eighty miles, those are pretty extreme, you know. And there was one where I dare say we were pushing a hundred, but that was only one, and that was in a guy that would had incredible mental fortitude and and physically strong. So yeah, the average guy's not doing that. I would say the average hunt is probably about thirty to forty miles. But here here's what it is is you're devoting all your effort to that one thing right and then the other thing is efficiency is the art of doing that's what i always say no matter what it is the art of it is efficiency right and so you want to you don't want to climb the mountains anytime you don't have to so that's a big thing climbing the mountain that's a big thing knowing the direction to go you know you know through experience i, I know that anything green if you're looking ahead going across a valley if it's green it's wet right So that's gonna be harder walking. I wanna go to the red or the gray. That's where the firmer pack is. And all those little tips and tricks. That's what I love about guiding is I can take my twenty-five years of mistakes and then take that 60-year-old man. And I I have the discernment, the instinct, and the wisdom to, you know, instead of getting going, you know, 70, 50, 60 percent on my stocks, I can go, you know, 80 or 90 percent. So that old guy with two artificial knees, he only has to climb the mountain one time, but we're hiking through the valleys and spotting the game, knowing when, okay, right now, you know, noon to 5 p.m., the Rams are, Bams are probably bedded, and so they're using their 10-power vision. If we're hiking around now, they're going to spot us. We want to go get up at 3 o'clock in the morning when they're feeding, and they're less likely to spot us coming. And so you just... You use all these little minute details and things that I've learned from nature, because as a hunter, first and foremost, you're a student of nature. And so you want to just put, you know, just like business, just like anything, you want to stack all the odds in your favor that you possibly can. But then the other part of it is you just got to work and then you got to ride that balance of, okay, when the art of hunting is the balance of patience and the balance of aggression. And you only find that balance by doing. There's no hacks. Um, You know, you can't you have to do that. That's got to be real world. You got to figure that out for yourself. You know, you can learn from others, but at some point you just got to apply it and make mistakes, go through adversity. Adversity is one of two things. It's either cement or it's a wedge, right? And adversity, that's what makes us who we are. Adversity is what gives us life. That's what teaches us. It's how we grow, builds our character, builds our perseverance. And through those adversities, that's where we have something to give others
0: absolutely it's fire you know i want to i want to kind of transition as we're talking about the hunts and getting you know further into the hunts um you had said brown bear the kodiak bear i'm over here thinking like man are these not when i'm watching i'm like these bears look very similar i'm looking for like differences and you know what i mean i'll hear you talk like oh these tips the the ear tips or they might be blonder or different things like that i'm like what variations are there and come to find out uh the kodiak is just the, the island in alaska and they ha- do they have a better, like, or just a larger nutritional supply? So a Kodiak bear would technically be bigger because is it their, are they eating moose or what are they, what's, what's their nutrition that varies from a typical brown bear? Yep. So
1: a brown bear and a grizzly bear are the exact same animal as well. Basically, a wow. brown bear lives nearer to the coast. And so their their diet is primarily salmon. And then it's going to be more temperate near the coast. So they're not going to hibernate as long. So a grizzly bear is typically more aggressive because they're digging roots. They're digging for squirrels, killing moose, caribou. A brown bear can and will as well. Uh, Moose calves are very easy calves. That's kind of what they're they're hunting primarily. A grizzly bear has to be more opportunistic, right? So yeah, brown bear gets much bigger. It's basically just, I think it's a 60 second parallel more or less. There's some deviation there. A bear south of it is a brown bear. He takes one step north of the 60-second parallel. That brown bear just became a grizzly bear. Wow. So, and the interior gets much colder. You know, there's places on the coast where, you know, it'll get down to maybe 20, and then the interior of Alaska can get 80 below. So those winter, those bears just have a much harder life. And what's amazing is a brown bear, he'll, he'll grab a salmon in the peak of a spawn, a smart old sam, uh, brown bear, He'll eat the skins, skin of the salmon, the eggs of it's a female, and he'll bite the brains, eat the brains out of the fish, and then he'll leave the actual flesh of the fish laying there, because he knows that there's more fat, nutrients, and protein in those parts of the fish than there actually is the flesh, right? But and and how that bear knows that? Because he's been hungry, right? When yeah. you get hungry, when when I'm on these sheep hunts, you know, you you might we get hungry, and we create, oh, I want a cheeseburger, I want pizza. Right? When you get really hungry, it gets elemental. You want fat. You want salt. You want yeah. protein. You want sugar. You need hydration. Right. Yeah. Those bears have been hungry. So now you've got this dead salmon laying there on the ground. You think, oh, what a waste. Well, birds, eagles, weasels, fox, raccoons, or uh, not raccoons, I guess, um, but uh, wolves will come by and eat it. But what doesn't get eaten, it goes into the soil. right? And then that fertilizes the grass, the willows, the alders, which... Uh, the roots go deeper into the soil, which line the bank of the river, which prevents erosion of the river, which brings life right back to the salmon that need that river to survive. And that's what you know brings life to everything. Right. Yeah. So everything in nature is connected. It's not a chain. It's like a spider web. It's all intricate. Right. And every organism is just a tiny strand. And you break one strand, the integrity of the entire web is compromised. And we're like that in life. We're all here to serve one another through through the life of every organism in nature. Its, it's purpose is to give life to another organism. And that's our purpose here in life. That's what I believe.
0: Oh, I completely agree. Uh, you know, and I, I'm thinking I'm, when I'm watching these hunts and different things like this. And I, I got a long-term vision. One of my – I'm in finance. so That's why I got the suit on and everything like that. One of my best uh, – one of my best friends and one of our one of my top guys in my company. His name's Justin. He's from Grand Junction, Colorado, and they they hunt a lot of elk out there. I don't think he, his dad's been on elk hunt. I think he's been on a couple elk hunts, but we're we're talking about you know just a vision. All I've done is small game hunting. You know what I mean? Not having not having anybody there to like you know help. Me. I think when they split up, I was nine or ten. So small game hunting for me, a majority of of my life. But having a vision of you know uh, doing some elk hunts and then long term though coming up to alaska and and hopefully being able to do some of those some of those really cool hunts like a moose and the the doll sheep the the brown bear like i was telling you our first try around you know i uh, really got fascinated with bears because i went to a my pap took me before he passed away my mom's dad took me to a nra event national rifle association event in pennsylvania and i got to i think i had to have been probably 15 maybe 14 or 15 and uh got to tag a black bear sedated but uh you know what I mean? From from growing up and being like, I don't know why I was so scared about bears in Arkansas. You rarely hear about bears in Arkansas. Maybe a black bear spotting occasionally. And they're not going to be, I can't imagine they're big in Arkansas. You know what I mean? Maybe a couple hundred pounds like a big dog. But um, I was scared of bears. So it was cool to, to tag a bear and, and, you know, be at that event now, you know, working with different guys that, that have different experiences, things like that. But I remember eating a lot of rabbit growing up while we were there, rabbit and squirrel and. You know my mom being able to cook that, but watching watching your shows really it's really really cool because some of those shows between between you and Ronella, I find a lot of a lot of joy because it's it's like legitimate hunts. You know what I mean? So it's like watching you guys hunting the things that uh, that you're doing yourself, and then also incorporating the faith. You know what I mean? That's something I I highly respect, and you know I try to incorporate it in my business and, and my life, especially uh, just in today's day and age. I feel like a lot of young young people there's there's not a lot of good like moral standards for for people to kind of hold themselves to and i'm i'm you know you know open in regard to what people want to believe in and things like that but i i love the faith and i love uh the relatability and i can imagine you know listening to some of those hunts and being being like uh dehydrated but then adding dehydration hearing you know one of your testimonies i want to say you're talking about you know dehydration and your your feet were i think messing up and your your back was was hurting and you were you spent a day or two just praying to god and is that am I kind of butchering that story? No you're pretty
1: well spot on yeah
0: yeah and uh you know listening to that man I I get, for those who aren't faithful I bet they go on one of those those hunts and they start to reconsider or reimagine you know what I mean go, so you go 60 80 miles on on a low diet and and you start thinking about higher powers and, and thinking about about God and, and something out there you know what I mean or you know my next question is has the hunter ever been the hunted? You know what I mean? So it's like I—I I don't know how I'm seeing these massive bears, and people are always like, you know, bear, you got to stay away. Bears are, bears are, uh, you know, very dangerous. But I'm looking at, you know, and you said the brown bears aren't as, you know, ferocious as the the grizzly bears. But I'm still thinking it's like they'll spot you guys from a half mile or even a mile out. Their their sensory abilities is incredible, and start to avoid you. But knowing that there's probably not any really like true predator out there. Is it just? The wisdom that they have from experience of, of hunters coming and obviously being able to you know take them out
1: yeah yep so yeah a lot uh yeah so what we're seeing like in the western u.s a lot more bear attacks right that's because those bears have lost inherent fear of man right i guarantee you there's more bears being shot than what probably people know of you know people probably you know There's some fear, right? There's some people shooting those bears and probably not saying anything about it, but I guess that's beside the point. But what's happening is those bears aren't hunted, and so they're led to believe that man basically means an easy meal. Bears will absolutely hear gunshots. I've seen it, and they will go to the gunshots, right? Because they know, okay, there's probably an animal down. And now they can get an easy meal, right? So these bears that we're hunting, they have inherent fear of man. Brown bear, I mean, if you ever want to go on a, on a real hunt, I think a, a, go on a Kodiak bear hunt and go for 15 days. Because I, I I know enough about the business world, right? It's very hectic. It's very fast-paced. You know, you got to drive. you got to work hard. But in the wilderness of Alaska, that will get you killed, right? It's a total, like guess paradigm shift if you will right um but a bear he'll wind you from five miles away his sense of smell is seven times stronger than a bloodhound's and somebody uh, you know somebody gets abducted in new york and 12 24 hours later they'll bring a bloodhound in and a bloodhound can discern the scent of the getaway vehicle from thousands of other vehicles a day later and that brown bear's sense of smell is seven times better than that dog's, you ain't gonna fool his nose. But in the Arctic, when we see the bears, 50% of the bears, when they see us, they come to us. Because anything that moves up there because there's so little human interaction is food to them. Their, their first thought is, you know, they're not, they're not used to, the only predator is other bears, right? Now, the brown bear in the coastal regions, they're more used to people. They've got fishermen around. They're smelling human. They they know, hey, we got to need, need to stay away from humans. But you get in the interior, the very remote parts of Alaska, those bears can be very, very, very aggressive. And typically, it's the younger bears, ones that are, you know, three to six years old, where they're just, they're not really... They're just kicked away from mom. They're hungry. That they're they haven't honed their hunting and survival skills yet, so they have to take more risk, right? It's just like somebody in the financial world, you know, you're 20, 30 years in, and you've got a lot more security. You you don't you don't need to take risk. Why would you want it? You know, you've got you, you know what works and what doesn't. You're less likely to take risks. Where those younger bears. They they have to take more risks to survive. Those are the ones that you'll typically have the most trouble with. But obviously, you come up on a solid cubs, or a, a big bear if he's guarding a kill or something. He he ain't gonna he ain't gonna want to back down.
0: Wow, what's the scariest what's what's the scariest bear experience you've had? And then I want to go into the scariest hunt you've had in ge- general, unless they're both the same. No,
1: the uh, the scariest bear hunt I've had. I don't know if have you, you watched it on YouTube. It's called Shadow of
0: Death. I have watched the Shadow of Death. I watched it twice, and I'm like, <laughs> from YouTube, it's like, all right, that's pretty scary. But I I could imagine just being there had to have been way crazier. The Shadow of Death episode. I've watched it twice. Yeah, and that,
1: and I, I think I probably said it on the film. That wasn't scary at all, um, at least for me. Yeah, I was gonna um, say you knock you on downplayed not, it. Not, well, it just wasn't. I mean, not to sound, I'm not to be uh, prideful, but it's just so real. I suspect that it's probably similar to what, you know, a soldier in combat would feel. It's like, there is nothing else. There, there's no fear because there's nothing else to consider. Your mind has nothing to worry about because your deepest fear or worry is at hand. So there is no fear because you're in it. Yeah. Fear is, is imaginative. What is it? False evidence appearing real, yeah. an acronym for fear. Yeah. Right? And so when you're in it, the fear is gone. The scariest event, like where I actually thought I was going to die, um, and maybe, I don't know if you've watched this one, it's called um, Face to Face.
0: Sounds familiar. It's on,
1: it's on YouTube. We almost drown in a river. I had a client fall down in the river and I went to fish him out. And I thought basically, he basically was kind of floating down the river like a rubber ducky at the fair. Right? Yeah. And I went to grab him, and the the river as as I was pulling, I was foolish as I tried to pull him straight out. I should have been angling down with the current and kept pulling him. But in my you know inexperience and in my haste, I, I just tried to pull him straight. Well, as I pulled, and then he got to be perpendicular to the current, and then once he started going downstream, well, then the current was so strong and it just pulled me in with him. And he, his lifelong fear, he almost drowned as a kid. So his whole life, he has been afraid of drowning. Wow. And the old adage, what you fear, you create. So I got pulled in with him and I just knew right then it was like, okay. And he w- went into shock and he was kind of yelling at me. We're face to face and I'm yelling, I'm trying to get his pack off, you know? Yeah. Then the river narrows down to this narrow torrent. And I knew if we got to there, we were probably going to die. Don was almost assuredly going to die because he really, he can't swim. And, uh, and I, we're face to face and he's just yelling, is this the end? Is this the end? I'm yelling, get your pack off, get your pack off. But you know, I think in that moment, just fear, like he's like, holy smokes, all my life, I've thought about death by drowning and here it is, it's actually happening. Right. So he just kind of becomes overwhelmed. And I just remember just like, oh, he's going into shock and it just happens crystal clear, like super fast, you know, boom. And just all these thoughts go race through your mind. And I just remembered like, all right, Billy, he's in shock if you hold on, you might die. And this this is the decision. I knew that I could get away if I let go. And I just thought of my wife, thought of my kids. My wife's face just flashes in my eyes and my kids. And I remember thinking, I'm as good with God as I'm ever going to be. And if now's my time, it's my time. But if Don dies, I'm going to die with him. And I mean, after, and then after that, there was no hesitation. I was like back in the present moment. And I mean, again, that's just a microsecond, all those thoughts go through and then just kind of swim for shore. And, and, uh, basically right at the lip of where it goes down into this, uh, rapid channel, if you will, I felt gravel under my feet. Cause at this point we're, you know, we're just, we're, we're swimming and, uh, Don had a pack on probably 50 pounds. I had already gone across, so I had my pack off. And so as I'm kind of swimming, side-stroking, trying to hold on, I'm sure Don was, you know, running whatever he could do. I felt gravel under my feet. I take about two steps right before the lip of this deep pool, and we just kind of lunge forward. And fortunately, we landed in about kind of like two feet deep of water, maybe a foot and a half to where the current no longer had us. But, I mean, that was like, I I believed that we were going to die. I wasn't going to go down... You know, I was going to go down fighting, but I, I figured that when I was going to die. And that was all because of mistake I made because of pressure. I knew better. It was a series of events that led us to that position. I put my client into that position. And, and you know, I had 17, 18 years of experience at that point, but I let the pressure get to me. I knew the river was coming up. Um, it's kind of a long story, but I didn't pull the plug soon enough because the pressure of getting my hunters we had three hunters on that trip. Typically, you have one-on-one. And so now you've got three times the animals to kill in the same amount of time. That just puts more pressure on the guide. And I didn't have enough discernment and enough wisdom to say, no, boys, we ain't going across the river today because it's rising too fast. We got to stay on this side of the river. I didn't, I didn't do that. And a series of events led to me. There was multiple times where I could have pulled the pin, but I didn't. And it almost cost a man his life. Wow. Almost cost two guys. To yeah,
0: that's insane, and it reminds me. I read. Uh, I think it was fourth quarter last year. I read Cam Haynes' book. I think he dropped a dropped a book, and maybe it was the first quarter. I don't know. Um, but I, I remember him mentioning his mentor had passed away, and I feel disrespectful not not recalling the gentleman's name. But I think Roy Ross. Roy, yes, and it was yep. was it was he was it a sheep hunt he was doing, or maybe it was the I don't forget what they're called in New Zealand the they, They're real high in the elevation. They're like sheep too. I think it starts with an eye or something. Is it tar or no tar? Uh, tar. I yep. think you did a tar hunt too. I think I watched you went, you actually went, you weren't, you weren't the guide. You went with a guide. That's correct. That Yeah. Roy
1: is probably hunted in New Zealand, I suspect, but I'm 99%, I'm 99.9% sure. Yeah. He died on a dull sheep hunt in Alaska.
0: And it was as my
1: understanding. Just rough, rugged terrain. And, uh, Have you ever had scares with,
0: with the terrain and, and how high, you know, you guys get up and things?
1: Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing, you know, nothing crazy. I mean, there was times looking back that I, you know, especially when I was young, I should have not brought my clients there. There, there was a couple of things that hunt that I went on New Zealand. That was pretty steep, sketchy terrain, but, um, nothing, you know, nothing close. Yeah tons of spots where if you fell, you were dead. I mean, do that all the time, but I mean, I never had anything. Um, I never went any over. And yeah, I just, as I've gotten older, I've taken fewer risks. When I was young, I took some pretty stupid risks. Uh, been blessed that, you know, nobody got hurt while I was doing that, but yeah. What, what's been your favorite hunt? (laughs) Uh, like one specific hunt or like one, one species,
0: um, both either, whatever comes to mind.
1: Okay, I would say my favorite animal to hunt is grizzly bear or brown bear. If I had to choose one, it would probably be coastal brown bear. The reason being is it tests every facet of your skill set. And so you have to be completely rounded as a hunter. You have to have experience. You have to have discernment. You have to have patience. You have to have physical prowess to be successful, particularly to target a big, mature boar. Because you might see forty bears in a day, and so you have to know the difference. If you're trying to get a ten foot bear, which is kind of the holy grail, you know you've got to know the difference between. It's easy to tell the difference between a seven foot bear and a ten foot bear, but can you discern the difference between a nine foot bear and a ten foot bear? Nine and a half and a ten foot bear, and then you know obviously the danger element of it. So I I love I love that challenge, and it's a, it's a grind. It is mental and physical. So I, I love that. Favorite hunt that I've ever been on? Actually, I'm doing a film about it now. Uh, It might be, that's probably the most um, transformative hunt that I've ever been on. And to give you the long and short of it, it's this guy. he, He ministered to me, a Christian guy. And I don't know is that he ever spoke a word, a verse of the Bible to me in 15 years. And then his son starts, he was, so he's a pilot, and then his son comes and he starts flying with him. And so, long story short, the son I know is a Christian dude, and he crashes his airplane. And how he responded and how he handled that crash, it that made me, I remember as we were flying out at the end of that day, long story we're putting this film together, is gonna to be three hours long. I mean, it's an epic, epic tale. To go back, what Kurt told me one time, we were flying in the Brooks Range, he said, well, I was, you know, we were excited, beginning of the season, I'm heading into the bush for a month. And he just says, ah, oh, it's beautiful, isn't it, Wild Bill? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, just look at those mountains, that's God staring you right in the face. And it just kind of caught me. I, I kind of knew what he was talking about, but I knew I didn't know what he knew, right? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of don't necessarily see God. I get that God created that, right? And I bet you I've replayed that over and over and over in my mind 10,000 times in all the years that I've been in Alaska, just looking at the mountains and I'd hear his voice. That's God staring me right in the face.
0: So anyways, I know Kurt,
1: I know his character, and I know there's something different about him, the way he handles himself, the way he talks about other people, treats other people, his work ethic. I paid attention to Kurt for 15 years because I knew he had something that I didn't have and what other people didn't have. So 15 years later, Isaac starts flying with him. I can see the same thing in Isaac. Isaac crashes his plane. We get out Um, his leadership and his humility and how he handled the situation was so powerful, right? And the Bible says that the meek shall inherit the earth. And a lot of people think that meekness is weakness. And that that is, that is not at all the case. And the way he handled that situation totally flipped that hunt around. We all got out of there that day. It was like midnight, and I'm flying out with Kurt. I'm in the backseat of the Super Cub, and I'm staring at his bald head. And I recognize the reason why Isaac, or at least in part, why Isaac is who he is is because he had Kurt as his father to be there to mentor him, right? And I remembered, I told Kurt, I said, Kurt, there is no accolade. There is no award that any, because I'm a young father at this point that this happened, that any child could attain that should make you more proud than what you should be of your son today. I said, because what I saw right there, I know what I saw. I saw a man of God. And I said, that's what, when I read, when I started reading the Bible, when I was in the wilderness, I recognized that everything is in that book is in him. And I said, that, that I want that. And I knew that I needed, I needed that in my life as a father, as a person, I needed to have that. And I got it written here right on the trim of my window here in my cabin. Greater is he who is in me
0: in world. than he who is in the world.
1: Okay, okay as a, do you mind if I share a little bit about my faith? Uh, I love minute? it, man.
0: I love that's okay. that's my go-to.
1: All right, perfect. So, I, I I when if you ever watch my Trust the Guide episode or, or yeah, Trust the Guide episode one, I give my testimony. But I'll um so you know people could watch that there. But that's what I recognize when when Kurt told me, you see those mountains, Wild Bill. That's God staring you right in the face. As as a Christ follower, I don't like to use the term Christian because that's so yeah, watered down in our way. society that it's almost meaningless, yeah. I believe. Okay, but as, what I saw in the betting fields was that they are true Christ followers, and I could see Jesus' spirit in him. Kurt said, you see those mountains, that's God staring you right at the face. That's the creator, right? You, the, the creation is undeniable. Romans 1.20 said, for, for the God's invisible attributes are clearly seen by what is created, that man is without excuse. And my whole life, I'm like, okay, I can believe in God, but where does Jesus fall into all this, right? And when I finally just came to surrender to him, I just, this conviction and we're convicted not out of guilt. We're convicted by God's love and His mercy and His abundance and His unmerited favor in our lives. That's what convicted yep. me, and that's in Romans uh, uh, chapter two, verse four. Is this that His love, loving kindness, realize we realize that our best, our our own good deeds, are filthy rags yeah. to God. The God that created all this, we're not going to impress Him by what we've done. Uh. By anything that we can accomplish of on our own and then once that for me it was just guilt and shame that just just you know riddled me and then once I accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit just I mean I'd heard about it and I, I didn't know I didn't know I didn't even know what I was doing all I just said that day is I just got down on my knees and I just said God, my wife and my unborn child were three thousand miles away and, and my wife was in labor yeah. and there I was in the wilderness. I'm just like, you fool. And I just said, God, if anything has to happen today, take my life. Kill me right here and now because I don't I don't deserve the life you've given me. And if anything bad has to happen, I want I want you to take me. And that's exactly what John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's no greater way for God to show his love for mankind than to send his one and only son to die. Because everything in nature would fight to the death to protect its offspring. And that's how nature perpetuates itself. And I was ready to die for my wife and my unborn child in that moment. And then all of a sudden, it was like John 3, 16, everything come, came to life for me. and I just and, that's, and here's the thing, is God did just what I asked him to do. He took my life. Yeah. There was a dividing line the Nick uh, John chapter 3 verse 3 says that man cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again and that's exactly what happened that day I was convicted of my sin all the things that I've done wrong you name a commandment I've probably broken it yeah. right and and I still fall short to this day there is no doubt about that but it was a dividing line and I'm like holy smokes the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. There, there was no longer any doubt. And, and then another thing our pastor used to say, and I didn't grow up in the church at all. I went to church, right? But I do remember a quote that uh, Philippians 4, 7, um, that uh, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Once I experienced that peace, which surpassed all understanding, I knew exactly what it was. And again, there's no other way to describe it. There's no other way to describe, like I remember specifically recognizing my life will never be the same. It cannot be, right? And so then I heard God's still small voice and he said, share this. And I struggled and I wrestled with God because I was afraid through the years, I've been afraid to do that through my films. So I look at it as like what meat eater is to hunting and meat. I am to hunting and faith right so i believe that god was with me when you asked me at the beginning who influenced me my my grandpa my dad i honestly humbly i humbly believe that god called me yeah romans 8:28 written on my ceiling if we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose Kurt and Isaac Bedingfield came to me for a reason. They, they reflected a light. They handed me a light. And it, I mean, it's just, it's my job. Mm. And I'd imagine that's part of why you're doing this podcast. You want to take the things that you've learned and you want to serve other people. Cause that's, that's the only true fulfillment. I don't know what you had, whatever you're saying was like giving something. You, I, you said Identifying
0: fulfillment, not externally, but internally.
1: There, yeah. perfect. Exactly. And the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than receive. That's why I like guiding. I've never shot a big game animal for myself in Alaska. I wanted to as a young man, you know, I wanted to shoot my own sheep. I just became a guide because I figured I couldn't afford to hunt there anyway. You know, we grew up poor. And uh, now, 25 years later, I wouldn't even, if I'm going to go hunting in Alaska, I want to guide somebody. Because I know I'd rather give that, take my mistakes, my knowledge, my my experience, and bless somebody else with it and see their joy and their satisfaction because they're going to get way more out of it than I would. I would almost feel guilty, yeah. to be honest. Alaska doesn't owe me anything. Um, yeah, I don't know what your question was, but I think we were talking about the greatest hunt. Well, then, yeah, so that that was probably my greatest hunt because it molded me. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't be here yeah. I don't know where I'd be had it not been for that hunt. It was so gripping and so powerful. So the title of that hunt or that film is going to be We Saw Jesus. Because yeah. what we saw as a, as a Christ follower and you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, His Spirit lives in you. And you've still got to wrestle out the dross, if you will. Fire comes and you uh, and it boils gold, right? The dross, the impurities boil to the top. Yeah. You know, so you're you're not immune, and a lot of times you start following Christ, you're going to have more hardships yeah. and more adversities, right? Because you know, if if you have light, darkness doesn't want to come to the light, lest it lest your evil deeds be exposed. And so you you you're you're discerning, and your old flesh, your old man, your old nature, you still want. I still have pride. I still have selfishness, and so it 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 is it is a it can definitely be a struggle, and that's where you've got to surrender to God and trust that when we are weak, He is strong. And you got to take it on the chin sometimes, and you've got to turn the other cheek. And, and that's not what the world tells you, so you got to be pretty strong in that conviction. And the biggest thing that I've learned in 20, 25 years of Alaska, eight years of my life, lived in a tent in the wilderness, is this. Humility. Yeah. Like you were saying, like how that that's got to wear you down and you come to faith because you realize I can't do it. It is going to break you down. If you have any weakness in Alaska, the wilderness will expose it like you. I mean, I can tell you work out, right? You're really fit. All right. If we went to the gym. You would kick my yeah, butt. We right? went to Alaska. You'd kick that, mine. That's, that's, that's your world, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I I, I look like a a wimp, right? But I've been hiking the mountains for a while. I'm pretty good at that. When we go up the mountain with slippery shale rock, I'm going to walk up there like a goat and
0: <laughs> most have. guys,
1: they don't have that balance. They haven't done it. Like they're going to be exhausted. Yeah. And and I won't, you know, a guy that's done it won't even be breathing hard because it's like for them their balance is so finely tuned that it's not even work, but the guy that's never done it before, he's he's fallen down for every ten steps he takes he's fallen down nine of them and that just wear him out right and um, so yeah yeah it's just we've all got a calling we've all got a purpose yeah. uh, the book of uh, Genesis says that man's created in God's image yeah. each and every one of us is unique and we have a unique purpose to cast out into the world but what is social media what does the world tell you the world wants us to, to conform yes. Romans the uh, Um, 12 verse 2 says do not conform to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that's where a lot of my depression was coming from is i i was caught i didn't i didn't have a vision Mm -hmm. the bible says where there is no vision people will perish so i'm seeing everybody else out there doing things different than me and i was starting to believe that man i screwed it up i had i got it all wrong do not conform but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and, the, and Jesus said this, the Bible can be summed up into this, the law of the prophets. So the summary of the Bible is this, love God above all things, love your neighbor as yourselves. And what does the world tells us to do? The world is trying to get us to love ourselves. Because as long as we're loving ourselves, we are of no use to God. We're of no use to him. We're of no use to our neighbor. And I've I've wasted plenty of time, you know, and I, and I still waste time. There's no doubt about it. But the only the only true joy and fulfillment that I give is just trying to improve the lives of others. You know, that's that's about all that that we can do. That's all that's worthwhile, really. That's true
0: fulfillment. I agree 1000%. Your camera froze on me. I don't know if it's still I can still hear you though. That's all that matters. Oh, there you go. Um man, that's so valuable. I think I think for me personally, my favorite part of this podcast will definitely be the the sharing of the faith and really just hoping that it touches Somebody, you know what I mean. I just hope it. There's seeds. One thing I uh, have been talking about in my in my business just this past week is you reap what you sow, and I love something that's been on my mind. My sister's been sharing it with me is Galatians six nine. I'm not as good at quoting the Bible as, as you are, but I I know loosely with Galatians six nine, it's it's basically in in due time you're gonna reap the harvest. Just keep sowing the right seeds, and don't don't grow disheartened because in due time gonna reap the harvest and and i think that applies to every every faucet and every area and aspect of life especially when it comes to hunting when it comes to business when it comes to relationships your personal life family life whatever it might be um i think this i hope this touches somebody and it plants the seeds in their heart and their soul and they realize the seeds that they're dealing and utilizing uh, or have access to in their life that they're able to they keep pursuing and nourishing they're going to be able to harvest one thing i want to hit on though is you said in 25 years you haven't you actually haven't done a hunt for yourself in alaska no wow no i've always yeah.
1: just been guiding Yeah. that's a,
0: that's incredible but do, do you ever find time to hunt for yourself or because you guide so much like do you even hunt in the state or i guess alaska is our states but do you hunt in wisconsin or get some deer for yourself
1: Yep. Yep. I'll shoot a deer or two every year. My young daughters are 11 and 12 now. So they're starting to hunt my 12 my year old. She shot a doe last year. That was enough meat for us. Yeah. So I'll do a little bit. I'm going to start doing a little bit more. I, I'd like to think, but you're exactly right. On And again, what is, what does the world tell us? This is something I've I just recently hired a couple employees. And so I'm telling them, it's like, we're, we're in a position we've been blessed that we're like we're we're able to pay the bills right i'm like let's let's not focus on growing that let's just focus on sowing cuz the world we're we're led to i mean right from i went to public school it's like get a job right and, and I always tell, well it's not really hey these are the these, this is the way you're going to benefit people or add value to the world or help people this is how much money you will make if you do this so the world is just t- teaching us to to reap Right? We spend so much energy seeking to reap. If we just sow, if we just focus on sowing, the, the harvest is just, Wonderful. <laughs> it's going to overflow. It's going to be there by default. It's like, do you believe God's word? And that's a law of nature. You know, people can kind of believe that without reading the Bible, you know. Um, and so, yeah, we, we don't have to. And there's times where we kind of need to, don't get me wrong. But if we just sow, The harvest is sure to come. So if you can get to that place, I get it. You got to eat. Matthew 6, 33 says that uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Right. You know, and then the other thing is this is the beauty of the wilderness of Alaska. I've been on hundreds of hunts. Right. Some adversity will come that you've never experienced before and you got to figure a way to get out of it right and when you go through that adversity it brings you down to that elemental level that i was talking about you realize the things that that truly matter that 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 are really important right but that's what makes you efficient that's where the growth is that's where you recognize that's where you pay attention mm-hmm. right is is in that adversity that's what separates the wheat from the chaff so to speak and then those lessons that you learn in that adversity that's what fuels you for years to come. You can never take that away when you learn that hard lesson. Yeah, you know you're going to learn more in your failures than you do in your successes.
0: A thousand percent.
1: So that that's what I love about it is that it is extreme, and you will be reduced. And if I could, maybe mention one more thing. You got. To, I can stay as long as you need me to. But one thing that I want to want to mention is the greatest one of the greatest blessings i had at that time with those bush pilots right yeah but i had time that i sat in campfires neck in a tent eating with with men for uh one to two weeks at a time and it's amazing how vulnerable men will get with one another i call the campfire the hunter's altar yeah and so i know these guys so well and then a lot of and particularly because we went through some adversity together. We had to trust one another. We had to rely on one another. And so then the things that they've shared, and, and I've learned if there's anything that I've learned about, and this is why Isaac, after he crashed his plane, Scripture says the greatest among you will be the servant of all. After he crashed his plane, he apologized to us. And he said, I'm so sorry, guys. I promise we're going to get you out of here today because we had like a foot and a half of snow. We spent two days clearing the runway with a rubbermaid tote. It was zero degrees. I mean, we were out of food, you know, but he his thought went to us. Yeah. Right. And so what I found with men is vulnerability. If you want to communicate with men, is to be vulnerable with them, yeah. and it took me 25 years to recognize that there's still a, a wounded or a, you know a, a, an insecure little boy in every man.
0: Thousand percent. You know,
1: at the root, he's he's in there, right? And I've seen that enough to know that if I go to speak to you know hundred thousand people or a hundred people, thousand people, whatever, I know that everybody in that audience has vulnerabilities. Mm. And when we're strong enough to be vulnerable ourselves it's just like the the shroud the shield the armor yeah we re, can relax a little bit yeah. and i believe that's why god's put me in this position to go into the wilderness for so many years to be reduced enough to where my pride is tucked down enough my i mean i i still deal with pride there, i mean billy mole's is a pretty stout dude he could do a lot of stuff yeah. pretty hardy but i've been reduced you know Physically, I can't do what I what I used to be able to do, and it's frustrating. But that that's really caused me to it's chiseled away at my pride, and that's allowed me to serve others, to recognize my own frailties and my own weakness, and to rely on Christ. And that when we are weak, He is truly strong. And and then and we'll, once we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Is that we can't do it all, and we've got to. And that's what a surrendered life looks like: is to to do everything we w- to do more at least I wouldn't say that I do everything but to seek to glorify him and not ourselves yeah. amen yeah.
0: man, so just a few more things as as we start to uh wrap up uh, you know we're talking on this topic and I, I know it's it's got to be jesus related, but if you if you were to leave something more specific to your children you could' only, you couldn't leave money, you can't leave any assets you can you can leave more so a mindset, a philosophy, a principle, a rule, uh, you know, what, what would you leave? What, w- what do you think would be the most valuable thing you could leave your children?
1: Um, probably Matthew 6.33. Love God above all things. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all things shall be added unto you. Yeah, that's it. That's a really good question.
0: And and from your experience, I'm not a parent, but from your experience on trying to imprint, you know, and I don't like to call it more so a religion, more so a relationship, but to show that that relationship, that intimacy with Christ, do you find is it more of you preaching it to your children, or do you have to you have to show it?
1: Yeah, you got to walk it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. And I've failed at that. You know, I've failed that many times, but absolutely some things I just had a, I was just in New Mexico and um, uh, at a Christian outreach event and a pastor shared me this, some things can't be taught. They have to be caught. And that's exactly what Kurt and Isaac did for me is they walked it. Yeah. They didn't preach. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't say anything. It was through their actions and it took, Consistency, and it took years. Mm-hmm. And not that they were the only ones. Um, and and I know the one thing that I struggle with is impatience on that stuff. Like I'm too proud, proud, prideful. That you know, when I think I know something and I'm pretty sure that I'm right, I'll admit there's times where I try to cram it down people's throat. Not not so much like, hey, look at the Bible here, but I'm like, gosh, don't you get it? You know, yeah. you know. And so with I, I believe with kids, it what I've learned is consistency. Don't tell, show. Yeah,
0: I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, one, one or two more hunting questions. What What's the hardest animal to field dress from your hunting experience?
1: Ah, uh, probably well a moose. Just the the sheer size. Yeah, you know, and you, you know most of those like a moose, you got to butcher it right. The fastest I've ever butchered a moose is an hour and a half because you got to butcher it where it lays. We're not. Yeah. Right. Anyway, we're not using. Four wheelers. I've used some boats. Sometimes we're hunting a river, but usually we're packing them up to a ridge uphill. Usually, uh, to a flat top ridge where an airplane can land. So, um, yeah, a moose. Just the sheer size. One hind quarter can weigh as much as 180 pounds, and so you're packing that
0: out. That's yeah. how many pack? <laughs> how many packs do you typically got to do for a moose? Is it four to six? Is it six to eight for packing like all ten. it out? 10,
1: 10. Yeah. I've heard of guys doing them in seven, you know, maybe, but I mean, you're, you're those are Booner. Those are, you know, King Kong sized packs. Yeah. yeah. So about 10 is pretty comfortable or not really comfortable, but that's more manageable. Yeah. You've got about pushing, pushing about eight, 800 to a thousand pounds of meat, hide, cape and antlers, you know, yeah. all that stuff.
0: So that's five repent trips back to the, the bush plane.
1: Yeah. 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 You're looking at 10, 10 trips. And will the
0: plane be able to fit at all or does it have to do two or three trips?
1: Yeah, it'll do. I mean, you could probably squeeze the whole moose in one, but that'd be too much weight unless you had super, super long runway. So yeah, usually two, maybe three trips, depending on the kind of runway they've got to work with. It's
0: almost a whole day to pack out a moose.
1: Oh yeah. I had one. Yeah. It was a big moose. I don't really know why. I guess I was young and ambitious, but it was three miles away from our airstrip. So it took me and the packer the packer did a lion's share of the the load no no doubt uh that
0: took two and a half days Wow to butcher it out just pack it and no bears ever have messed with your guys' kills or even I see you guys stay <laughs> oh, in these yeah. camps in the middle of the in the middle of nowhere like bears don't ever come and mess you guys got food
1: oh yeah they'll they'll mess with you oh yeah they do it they do it a lot you give a and warning shot no I'm sorry
0: uh do you give a warning shot or they're messing with your camp what do you do
1: yeah yep. Yeah. Yep, you kind of, how do you learn? You learn the behaviors of bears. Typically, a rifle blast will scare them away. Pistol fire will usually, it's just as likely to agitate them as it is to scare them. It's probably more likely to agitate them. Um, so, yeah, I just try to use a rifle shot. And then if they don't go away after that, then you're probably going to have problems. Um, and one thing to know, like, on, on my films i'm filming that all myself
0: i see it i'm like how is he filming this <laughs> he's getting great shots and then you got to carry a rifle especially with the some of those massive brown bears you got to put a couple shots into and i'm like just the the accuracy of all the of all the filming but it it makes it it makes it even more entertaining because it's it's very personable you know what i mean you know if, if if the the filming's getting done it's just you and the other hunters or the other hunter that's with you
1: yeah it's more raw and so I don't get a lot of that stuff. Like when a bear comes into camp, then I kind of got to go on more into guide mode than cameraman mode. So yeah, I don't capture a lot of that stuff. But it doesn't doesn't happen that you know it it, it happens more than you see. It doesn't happen every year. We'll have problems every season. I'll have problem, some sort of problem with bears. But that is one of the things that I recognize. People would always tell me, "Is like oh, have you ever thought about bringing a cameraman with you?" And I believe that that would. Uh, that would hurt the the quality or the you can uniqueness of my films yeah. is it wouldn't be quite as authentic because yeah. like as long as it's me just filming it I'm not thinking about it at all it's just kind of second nature right and that just started as home video and uh, eventually you know I just liked it got better at it yeah. and uh, and what I realized in that <clears throat> where I started getting some success and and better reviews on on my filming is when i was more vulnerable yes when i talked about life what i was experiencing when i would talk to my hunters like hey you know like how do you feel like right now you know pull out the camera when you're hurting rather than like okay we're hiking up the mountain there's the sheep oh we're gonna go over here there he is boom he's dead well here's here's joe with his trophy animal yeah. and the next thing you know we're at the plane and the airplane's flying away yeah like there's a whole lot more to it that goes into that yeah and then once it took me like fifth now 12 12 years to figure that out like hey the more I'm just kind of me yeah the more people seem to like it and and it's not that it's anything me I just think that you get to know somebody who they truly are you know, you know, when you know somebody and it's like, you're in a relationship and it's like, all of a sudden it's kind of like, there's a wall there. You're not knowing them any better. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not opening up. They're not vulnerable to you. It's kind of like, well, are, are we wasting each other's time here? I don't know if that makes, if I'm kind of mm. getting you, it's like, yeah, yeah. you gotta, you gotta kind of go next level. Right. I don't, I don't have any buddies. I got some really good friends. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't need, I don't need drinking buddies anymore. I want a good friend. Like, Hey man, I'm, This is what's going on. Can I get your take? Like, what do you think? And and guy that's proverbs written right here. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron. I was just thinking that. I was like,
0: definitely iron sharpens iron.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I I got a guy called it. I call just pretty much every morning. You know what I mean? He will tell me. He'll call me out, man. He's like, you're being a yeah <laughs> whatever it is that day you know and i'll do the same things like dude you're way off you need to apologize man you were wrong you need to repent on that one and he'll do the same thing to me and uh but yeah the more that we're just authentic because if if we're, if we're trying to be somebody that we're not we'll never have any equilibrium right yeah if we're trying to, to trying to please the world and please man we know it deep down in
0: our soul yeah i can't and we masters. all do it I'm sorry. You can't serve two masters, the the Bible says you'd probably know the verse, but I I have a general idea of it.
1: Yep, yeah, that's in Matthew six as well. Yep, you, you can't serve money, uh God and mammon. Yeah, yeah. money and possessions. Yeah, I think it's probably six thirty. I need to write that one on my walls here too. But um, yeah, and, and that is the truth. And and we all do it. We're all guilty yeah. of it at times. And uh yeah, and sometimes God, I believe He definitely allows things in our lives to draws closer to him, that, you know, that. to refine us. Yeah. And that's what makes it the greatest adventure there is. Yeah, it. Is. And it's just like when I look at it, when I'm guiding those guys, they've got to trust me. They've got to have faith in me. When I was young, they didn't have much faith in me, but seeing is believing. And for me, I tried to prove the Bible wrong, right? I tried to, I, the more I tested and the Bible tells it test, test, particularly on uh, what well, to test the spirits, right? So whatever spirit you're 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 being led by, you you should test it. If it, um, God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. If we sow of the flesh, we will reap of the flesh. Yeah. yeah. If if you're sowing, you know, if it's all about money, you'll you'll reap material things. But what what good are material possessions if a man uh, loses his soul? Yeah. Right. Um, then you know, and and so I believe a dream is a good thing, right? but if your dream is of the flesh which i've had many of them just like me shooting that buck that's what changed me Is i recognized that that was emptiness yeah. what i was sowing to reap what i thought was going to be some kumbaya light switch moment in my life it was it was it was filled with darkness mm. where those other moments that i talk about you know when i went through depression that led to light yeah. god was there he was he was with me in that I firmly believe that. And I prayed and I prayed for that, you know, that day, those days leading up to the moose, cow and calf. Mm. And I often thought like, gosh, did did God orchestrate that number of days, that seven days that I was alone? Did he orchestrate that cow and that yearling coming by me every day? And I believe he absolutely could have. Maybe he did. I mean, I know he could have, but but what I'm maybe led to believe more so now, and this is, you know, 15 years later, is that those miracles are around us every day. Mm-hmm. We come to the end of our ways. We find the folly of our of our flesh, of our pride, of our ego, and we get reduced and we get still enough. Psalms 46:10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. Another translation, cease striving. Know that I am God, lay it down, know that I am God is just be wait and be patient on Him. I think that those those miracles God's invisible attributes are clearly seen by what is made, they are around us all the time, but the world has us so focused on all these external things, these flashing lights mm. that we think are are great the money, the new car, the position, the title the 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 the, the sex, the woman, the man, the this, the that. Those are all distractions.
0: Yes. Yeah, carnal.
1: Those are all distractions, and they are empty. It is it is a lifeless well that will never satisfy us.
0: Mm. What, do, do you think Matthew 6.33, three. That is that your favorite verse? Is that like your last um, verse?
1: It's a good one that I keep, and here's why I come back to it. Simplification. That's what I love. Keep it simple. In Alaska, I have so little stuff. All these guys, you'll probably see these packed dumps. They have gizmos and gadgets yeah. and the newest sure. and the latest and the greatest. I don't want that crap. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll try some, but I usually got to let my hunters test it out for about two, three years, because I want something that I know. When I go track a wounded grizzly bear in the brush, I don't want a brand new rifle. I want the one that I've been toting around since I was six years old, you know, back on the farm. That's the rifle I want so that it's automatic, Yeah, right? So yeah, just... Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Just, just simplify it. Just get down. What is, what is the one thing that I need to do right now? And there is so often in life that I, I feel most at peace when I can shut off the noise. Yes. Because when you're struggling and when you're, your back's against the wall, there, there is nothing else. Just whatever is going to come at me next, that's all you're, you're focused on. But the world has got to spin it in circles. And I've done it, I've spun plates, and it usually once one crashes, they all start to crash, right? And so we spin the plates, we try to keep it all together, and we just we realize that we can't. And then when we come to surrender, boom, that's where the light switch moment happens. That's when the, That's when God's there. He's always with us. He's always there, but we just got to get out of his way. And I'm, and I'm I'm
0: I'm still trying to figure that that's, out, brother. That's our battle every day, man. Getting out of his way. We, yeah. we all, I, yeah. you know, this verse I always keep. Uh, I think I read it this morning. You, know, I, I try to read a proverb every day. So today's the 24th. I try to line it up. And I want to say Proverbs 24 somewhere is in there. It's you know his ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And I know there's different verses throughout the Bible that that have that, but. You know, sometimes when I'm trying to explain to, you know, I've I've had friends and really close people to me that have, have lost their parents and we're in our twenties and you really, you know, hope to not lose your parents in your, your twenties. We still feel like kids, you know what I mean? And I really, we, we probably are, you know what I mean? So, but uh, you know, sometimes when I'm trying to explain to them when they're like, man, I feel like I just can't, I can't have faith anymore. My mom's gone or my brother's gone or my, my sister's gone. My dad's gone. Even losing siblings at a young age. And I'm like, and i I try to i try to empathize but it's hard to empathize when i haven't i haven't lost anybody really close to me but and i'm trying to think you know because the answer the question will be like well why would god let this happen and i'm thinking to myself well you know you know there's a verse where it's like you know to live is christ and to die is gain but i don't think anybody wants to hear that when their, when their mom dies and I'm, i'm trying to gently package that with the right delivery but i also think of his ways are above our ways his thoughts are above our thoughts you know, there's verses because I've been a 10.99 since I was 18 years old, 100% commission. Grew up really hard and transitioning into building something for myself. And there's been days and weeks and years of not knowing if I were was gonna if I was gonna have growth in the business or, you know, make my make our the franchise that we're partnered with make them, you know, more money, revenue growth and things like that. Or even for starting out, if I was gonna make any money, you know what I mean? Just so many weeks of like just deals canceling, deals coming off, and. Things like that, and one verse I always came back to, and I try to share with with these people is, and and you would probably know it. I'm I'm bad at the the quoting, but uh, it's at God's at God's it has to be Psalms. I want to say it's Psalms, and he talks about look at the birds, I take care of the birds. Look at the flowers, I take care of the flowers. Look at the trees, and I'd always tell everybody in the office and people around me, I was like, you know, one place I go back to is I'll go outside, and if the skies aren't red and I hear birds. And there's not lava coming down from the sky and things aren't going to absolute chaos because you hear stuff about, you know, people get very political in the economy and things that we have to we have to be real and look at facts. But I live more by by faith than than the facts of this world. And that's kind of kind of what's helped me. But, you know, what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, trying to share that with people that are asking why God, why would God allow this?
1: Dang dude. Yeah, that's a tough question. And I, I, in the, well, Romans 8, 28, all things work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's there's, we're, we're not immune to bad things. And I, I, I personally, I don't, I still ask my, my, uh, myself the same questions. Um, I don't know what verse it is, but it says without faith, it's impossible to to please God. And I, I, I don't know why those things happen, but they do. And in a certain way, it makes it like the greatest adventure of all, you know, when you're going through them, it's impossible. I mean, that's not anything that I would say, Hey, you know, and, embrace the suck, as they say, or, you know, it's an event. I mean, you know, there's nothing you could say. I don't know what I would say to somebody in that person other than, can I pray for you? You know, and, and just pray that with God, all things are possible. That that there That this somehow God's presence and his love will be demonstrated through this somewhere down the line. And then the only thing, the thing I guess that has gotten me through some things is knowing this, that one day you will be able to help someone else out who's had the same struggle. Mm. That, that would probably be the only thing that I could really give them or, or sh- would pro- that's probably all that I would really yeah. share with somebody. But, uh, but I get it. I had a guy that went through a divorce and he told me that. He said a pastor. Uh, I, I don't have that one on YouTube yet. It's called He's Never Lost. Um, you know, when we were hunting an old mature animal, we shot this big moose and I told him my hunter, I'm like, I can, I already know what he's going to do. He's going to do this, this, and that. I said, this bull's been hunted before we were near a mine. We we're pretty close to a road. And I said, we got to do this or otherwise we're never going to get him. And we got him Right. And it was, it was a great hunt for me because, um, um, I, I know that, five, 10 years earlier, we'd have never gotten that moose, right? But it was, again, it was all the mistakes that I've made and my experience allowed us to get that moose. And so this guy, uh, he went through a divorce. His wife cheated on and blindsided him with this divorce. But a pastor told him he was ready to kill this other guy. And he's like, I, I, was, I was bound to determine I was going to go kill that guy. And uh, his brother talks him off the ledge. And then this pastor says, I know you don't see it right now, Doug but one day you're going to share this story and it's going to give life to somebody else and so then i shared i'm like dude he's sitting there telling me this story we're in the tent and i'm like dude that time is now i said because we're going to put your story on this film and you can share it with the world and uh and that's what he learned is it drew him closer to god during that process during that hardship he's just like he goes i wish it wouldn't happen he said i made mistakes but God is graceful. He is He gives mercy. Right? He's merciful. And you know, he, he's just grown through it. And the joy that it gave him and the fulfillment, like he, he was he he was a little bit apprehensive at first but i mean it didn't take long he's like dude i'll i'll, I'll share that story yeah. i'll tell it as, as raw as you want because you're right i do believe this is my opportunity he called me and he said hey i want to come hunting with you and i'm like yeah, i'm totally booked long story short it was COVID year had somebody cancel and i'm like hey can you be here in five days yeah. and he said i'm there and he came and love <laughs> to it. share that story so yeah I, I don't know why why that stuff has to happen but in the same token I guess it's maybe this and this isn't something that I would share with somebody who's going through that trial at that time. Right. You got to have some discernment, but like if it weren't for the hardships, if there was no bad, there would be no no good. I mean, not, not saying that that's necessarily why God created it that way, but made it that way. But it's like our sinful and our fallen nature, we we take things for granted. Right. And, and so I don't know if for, for some reason, I, God's ways are not man's ways. I think you just said that, and I, I'd say that's at some point, He's sovereign. He's all power, powerful, all knowing. He's everywhere. At some point, we've got to surrender that to Him and recognize that it not everything is going to make sense. And at times, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Hard, 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 hard. Amen. For sure.
0: What's your favorite dish? What's the favorite favorite food? Favorite animal to eat? Dull sheep. Dull sheep. How do you like to prepare it?
1: Uh, (laughs) There's only one way, brother. That's on a fire, an open fire. Okay. You just get a bunch of dead willow and you put it on there. Dull sheep ribs are the best because they're fatty. When we're sheep hunting, you're only eating uh, uh, freeze-dried food, lean, and then sugar, just junk, you know, just packaged foods. And then you, uh, so then you're all tired. And this is another thing. If you're a professional, take this to your team. All right, this, this is something I have just came up with. If you're a professional, a true professional, you should know what your clients want and they don't even know it exists. They would never even think of it. If you're a true professional, you know what your clients want more than they do, right? And so my hunters, we shoot a sheep. We're hiking three, four, five days up in the wilderness. We get a sheep and their first question, we're butchering the sheep. And they're like, oh, can we go back down to the the valley, to the tundra and go hunt caribou? Yeah, we can do that, but our sheep hunt ain't done. We're going to pack the, and I, when I was young, I would race down there as fast as I could, and go whack a caribou, maybe a grizzly bear, try to get a wolf, whatever. Now what I do is I tell them, no, 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 we're still sheep hunting. we got one more she, day of sheep hunting left. What are you talking about? We're going to pack this thing out. Tomorrow we're going to spend an hour. We're going to gather enough willow brush build a fire and then you get some green willows after the coals are burned down you put green willows on there so it won't burn and then you lay those ribs on that fire and we're going to sit here and we're going to eat sheep ribs until our guts burst until we're farting like that yeah. <laughs> you know and and then five years later ten years later when I see that hunter when I visit him somewhere and you know what he's going to talk about do you remember how good those sheep ribs taste yeah taste it i'm like yeah yeah i I remember that those are the things that they remember that's the stuff they value yeah they go there for the for the uh for the sheep you know and the adventure and you shoot the sheep but just that stillness right just that simplicity just to eat that flesh and you're you're hungry and you're malnourished and you're wore down and you just sit there and you savor that moment and you just savor that day then the next day then we'll hike out and then we'll go after
0: caribou yeah that's good do you have a you have a favorite movie? I know it's off topic, but I always ask everybody. I like movies. Ah, uh,
1: I like The Godfather. Uh Lonesome Dove.
0: Lonesome Dove.
1: Lonesome Dove is probably
0: you've you watched. I don't that? think so.
1: Oh, brother! Oh man! Good movie? It's six hours long. Oh, god! Kind of like me. It's long-winded. It's a mini series. Yeah, Lonesome Dove has got to be on there for sure. Uh alone in the wilderness that's a documentary okay um it's about this old dude he uh, builds a log cabin in the wilderness of alaska you'll find it um but yeah really mainstream movies
0: yeah they don't make. have them you seen like the revenant to. yeah
1: yeah it wasn't bad is
0: that kind of pretty accurate like what bears
1: yeah it wasn't too far off yeah i I can't i i was i thought it was going to be totally cockamamie i don't just remember it just too much just yet there was a few things that were unrealistic but as far as the bear's behavior but there was a few things that i would say probably weren't far off yeah Yeah, it wasn't too bad but an interesting story yeah yeah
0: definitely man uh the only other question i had was so my for my long-term vision of coming up there and hopefully you're still guiding you know what i mean i imagine hopefully within the next Ten to fifteen years, I can come out and because I imagine it's there's like a wait list and, and different things like that to uh, do the hunts. When when you get a ticket, or is that separate from a, a guiding package? Do you have to find a place to to get like the the tickets? Like is that something when people get a, pa- a guide package through you? Do you assist them with helping them find tickets, or does that include?
1: Yeah, like the tags, the tags to hunt the animal. Yep, most of these are going to be over the counter when they're extremely remote. You basically just buy a tag for the most part. I mean, you can
0: buy are doll sheep is that the, one, some of the hardest tags to get? Yeah. Yep.
1: Some areas, you know, an outfitter will have an area and he's allotted a number of tags. And so if you book through the outfitter, you'd automatically, you know, you can buy those tags. But for the most part, they're just over the counter. There are certain areas, typically areas near roads where the access is easy. Then they limit the tags so that there's not so many people in there uh, or hunting, you know, that they're not, you know, too much pressure taking too many animals. But then when you get very remote, basically the remoteness limits the number of people that come in there. So yeah, the tag is pretty much the easy part.
0: So when someone gets a package with you, they can pretty much get a tag and set this package up and it, the whole thing can get down within a year or two? Or is it a longer wait yeah. list?
1: Yeah, usually a wait list will be like, two to yeah year to three years it all kind of depends on the the market and uh kind of the type whatever you're hunting but yeah usually at least a year out
0: if somebody wants to do like all i see you some of these guys will do like three they'll do the sheep then they'll get either like a caribou and then they'll get a bear is that, that yep. that's something it's like a one to three year wait type of deal
1: Yeah. And then there's some guys, you know, not everybody does. Obviously some guys will come for a sheep. They'll have a sheep tag, caribou tag and a grizzly tag, and they might not get anything, but yeah. Yep. So most, the different areas, some areas you can combine species in some areas, you know, not every area does all the different animals, you know, are, do they exist, but yep. It's, it's possible to do combination hunts and for sure.
0: Yep. Awesome. Um, is there anything you want to shout out for, for yourself, you know, you,
1: Oh yeah, I guess just if people are interested, you can find me on YouTube. I've got a men's ministry. It's called trust the guide. Uh, You'll find that on my YouTube channel, modern day mountain man. So if you look that up, you'll find me. If you Google search, you'll find my website, but yeah, probably two thirds of my content is not on YouTube. It's just on digital download or DVD. I'm still kind of a dinosaur. I still got, Yeah. I still do DVDs, but I, I got a lot of guys, you know, 40 and older and hunting camps that live in the wilderness and stuff. Uh, that still watch that, um, but yeah, I just I just like to encourage. I pe- I appreciate what you're doing with people, and just trying to help them out and um, and and just share. Yeah, just pers- be transformed. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind yeah. and knowing that that unique facet that you've been. Um, you know, at times I think we all all struggle that uniqueness about us that we're self-conscious of i think oftentimes that's exactly we've got to be true to ourselves in that and share that in the world and in doing so we'll also find that some things of ourselves aren't good you know there's selfishness in it there's there there's uh you know You've got to try, fail. You've got to, a, lot, a lot of the dreams that I that I've chased and I achieved every dream I ever had as a kid. I've achieved that; yeah. I, it's happened, right? And some of them they came up empty, and when they the Bible would call it of the flesh, yeah. basically, if it's, it's if it's selfish in nature, you will figure it out in about two seconds. Yeah, like that deer that I was telling you about. Whereas when it's God ordained, you you will do something. You won't even like know that you did it and, or won't even know what you've done, but you see the fulfillment or that you give life into somebody. And all of a sudden you're like, Whoa,
0: Whoa, what's,
1: what's this? And then you realize, man, that's, that's the ticket. Yeah. God. Okay. All right. All right. So if I do this, I'm giving to somebody else. All right. So then, then you start, then you really start paying attention and you kind of get out of God's way a little bit. So, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out, man. I'm 45 years old. I still got, a Lord willing, I guess, still got a long ways to go. But, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Let's go. Well, Billy, I very, very much appreciate you. We're two hours in, cause hour and a half recording and a half hour of technical difficulties. So, <laughs> definitely, definitely owe you, uh, owe you, man. So, hopefully, one day, knock on wood, I can, I can come out there with, uh, you know, one of my buddies or something. We can do a hunt. So. But uh, keep watching your content, and uh, thank you for being a blessing. And anybody that's watching this, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're, if you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, I just don't know what's going on with my life, and I don't have an exquisite prayer for you, I don't have anything exquisite I could say to you right now, but I would I would just tell you to just, just close your eyes, and if you want to, you know, accept Jesus Christ into, into your life, I would just say, you know, I believe that Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and you died for my sins, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. You know what I mean? The savior of my life. So if you watched all the way through and and you want that opportunity and you, and you you want to know your salvation and things like that, I, I feel like we can't waste the, the, my, my favorite parts of this has definitely been, has definitely been the Lord because he has, he has literally saved my life in more ways than I can. I can even count. You know what I mean? (laughs) There's been so many mornings I've hit my knees and not knowing how things were going to play out and make it. It's not been the wilderness, the Alaskan wilderness, but it's been the business world wilderness, which can be scary at times. Yeah. So. And if
1: I and if I might, I might be so bold. I I would just, you know, I think if men, particularly if they recognized, I don't know if the challenge is it. It, it is the Bible says we're to carry our cross daily. Yeah. And that meek is not weak. I just heard a guy the the Roman I don't I don't know what it is but the the Greek word for meekness has something to do with taming a wild stallion. Yeah. Right. It, it's we're ma- we're all masters to or slaves to somebody. Somebody is our master, and if we're we're living out without Christ, our sin is our master. Mm. Whatever it is, greed, lust, addiction, um, insecurity, uh, pride, shame. Uh, whatever it is, that is our master. That is what's directing our steps, yeah. right? And it comes to like total <coughs> repentance and submission. And that—that's not a word that we like to mm-hmm. hear, right? Unless we read it in Ephesians, where it says that the wife is supposed to submit to the man. But the man, as as the leader, he he is he is to uh, he is responsible to God. Yeah. Right. And so we're all slaves to somebody. And so it's 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 scary and it's something that we don't want to do. But it just comes to that point of repentance and submission that is like, I've done it my way and I've, I've loused it up. And, 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 it, and it, there is no I don't believe that there is an easy way to truly come to Christ. It's got to be through brokenness and surrender. And when we fully surrender, he'll be there just like that.
0: Amen. Amen. All right. I love you, brother. Love it's you been too. A pleasure. Let's go, man. Have a blessed day. All right.